and dear Lord Jesus, and dear Holy Spirit, we approach you this morning, which we call Pentecost Sunday. We want you to bless us, and in the words of a song, we pray. Come, Holy Ghost, for moved by thee, the prophets wrote and spoke. Unlock the truth, thyself the key, unseal the sacred book. Our gracious God, help us to see what you want us to see because you have written it in this holy, inspired, and fully trustworthy Bible. Bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Years ago, I'm afraid uh, youngsters will have to journey with me by faith now because I'm going to tell you what happened when I was a teenager myself. Now, this is going back a long time. Uh, it's going back into last century. Uh, was anybody born last century? Ah, yes, I was too. Well, when I was a teenager, I used to enjoy a bit of music, I don't know whether it's popular really, apart from certain circles these days, called jazz. Do you remember jazz? Ah, I used to admire those musicians. Uh, one was called Louis Armstrong. Hmm, do you remember him? I can't sing, and therefore I could almost imitate his gruff, croaky voice. Uh, a song he made famous, <clears throat> I, I, I really can't take it off, but, and I think to myself, you've got it, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. It is a wonderful world. Uh, probably we have appreciated that this morning particularly. We talk about the seven wonders of the world. I'm not against them, but I think you would agree there are many, many, many more wonders in the world than just seven. Well, I want to come this morning with you and point you to some of the wonders of the word the Holy Bible. And I do assure you, there are many, many more wonders in this book than just seven. Uh, however, this morning, for simplicity's sake, I want to point you to three. I want you to remember these three. 
Well, now, this dear Pastor Philip here, I'm not sure. You can report over lunch, you see. I don't know whether he asked you this, but I want you to tell me my three points of my sermon out loud. Uh, that will see, uh, tell me whether you've been listening. So here are the three points of the sermon, three outstanding points, vital points. And before the end of our little time together, I hope you will see that they form uh, three outstanding differences of Christian faith to any other faith or religion in this world. Nothing else can match them. However, let me give you the three first. <clears throat> the first is taken, well, I was brought up, I, I've graduated a little bit, but I was brought up on the authorized version of the Bible. So I'm going to quote an old verse. That's the first statement. And then the other two I have styled after the verse I'm going to give you. So here are the three statements. Oh, have you got your memory boxes going? Because you've got to say them after me in a moment. <clears throat> or shall I be kind? I'll let you say them one by one. There we are. Well, before we graduate. Uh, here's the first statement taken from Galatians 2, verse 20. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Now, can you say that? Not too bad, is it? Galatians 2, verse you're on your own now. The Don't forget it. Here's number two. Styled after the same kind of wording, but not directly from any particular one verse. <clears throat> and notice the change in tense. The Son of God loves me and has given himself to me. Off you go. The Son of God to me, yes. He loved me and gave himself for me, but he loves me and has given himself to me. Here's the third one. The Son of God loves me still and is coming back for me. Once more, the Son of God loves me still. Well, there are the three and uh, I think we've got time to say graduation class now. 
You've got to say all three, one after the other, without me prompting you. So from Galatians 2, verse 20, the first one was, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loves me and gave himself to me. The Son of God loves me and is coming back. Oh, you're doing very well there. Uh, you put me out of my stride now. What am I saying next? Hold on. Now, I did say earlier, those three truths, Christian truths, are unmatched anywhere. Turn to what faith or religion you wish, none can match any of those three. For example, no philosophy, no faith, or no religion can say, our leader loved us and gave himself especially to pay for our sins. You'll find that nowhere else. But the Christian can say his leader, his, well, lover, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me you may not be able to say that. Your faith may not be able to say that. Your religion may not be able to say that. Your whimsical hope may not be able to say that. But I can say it. I'm a believer. We've just sung. We believe. And what do we believe? Why our wonderful leader, if you want to call him that, Lord, Savior, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Second, no other faith can say the second one, that their leader loves them. Their leaders are dead in any case, and uh, has given the, uh, uh, themselves to them, not at all. They cannot say, our leader not only died for us, but he came back alive and is alive now, and in a wonderful, mysterious, and miraculous way, he, our leader, can come into our minds, our spirits, our souls, and he can transform us on the inside in a wonderful way. Where's the message like that? You say, well, we've got it. I know we've got it. Who else has got it? Nobody else. But we can say, what can we say? The Son of God loves me and has given himself oh no not just that to me some of you said for me if not all and then thirdly what other faith or religion wherever you go in this whole wide world says oh, I will tell you about our leader he not only died for us, he not only came back alive, he not only lives, he's not only... But you know, he is going to come back one day through the skies, personally, visibly, gloriously. He's going to shout, and all over the world, every cemetery is going to open, and every grave is going to give up his dead. What a wonderful day that will be, 
when our leader returns. What faith says that? What religion says that? Answer, yours. But nobody else's. Isn't that wonderful? I think I can sit down now and have another cup of tea. Why, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loves me and has given himself to me. And the Son of God loves me still and is going to come back for me. Hallelujah. That's worth a hallelujah, isn't it? Come on, let's say it. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Now, those of you know, who know your Bibles, and I hope you read a little bit at least each day, I hope most of you have got through it at least once. I was converted years ago and challenged to read it once a year, cover to cover. I've been doing it. And so I can honestly say I've read my Bible ever since I was 17. I've read my Bible, do you know how many times? You write a lot. <laughs> so let's, let's move on. Now, in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, for his Old Testament people, God ordained seven feasts. Now, the Jews sometimes introduced an extra one themselves. Okay, in the book of Esther, you have that. But basically, God said, you look after these seven feasts. Some of them were very close together. So these seven feasts occurred at three distinct times in the year. Not seven distinct, apart from the odd day or two. They were clustered one period of the year, quite some weeks later, another period of the year, and then quite some weeks or months later, another period of the year. And God said, and this is what they did, if at all possible, you are trying to get to Jerusalem together to enjoy these feasts. They were happy events. They weren't fasts. One of them was a fast. But the other six were feasts, happy events. Now, I want you on three occasions to come together happily to celebrate Events. Now, why did he do that? Well, they had to remember something. But it underlined three important truths. And that was not only in the Old Testament, but those feasts anticipated what was going to happen in the New Testament. And of those seven Jewish Old Testament feasts, uh, some of them still linger in our English calendar at the moment. Not by their names, but by different names. For example, you will know this one, I think. One of their feasts was Passover. I haven't got time to go in the Passover lamb and that sort of thing, but I hope you know the story of Passover, time of Moses, lamb, blood on the door, and out they came. Passover. 
They were saved by the blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament. They had to remember that. And when we come into the New Testament, or if you like, the Christian era, we have a feast where we remember, by the grace of God, we also were saved by the blood of the Lamb. We don't call it Passover, we call it Easter, all right, Easter. So we have that feast still. Exactly seven weeks and one day, the day after the Sabbath, seven Sabbaths will be complete plus one day, 50 days. The Old Testament feast, using the New Testament name that was used, was called Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, you know, as by the reading we've just had, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, who came? Answer, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit came to live in the New Testament believer. Oh, this is where our government has sort of confused us a little bit, whether deliberately or otherwise, I'm not quite sure. But you see, exactly 50 days after Easter, when I was a boy, we had a festival called Whitson. All right? Whitson. Now, we've dropped the word Whitson and replaced it by Spring Bank Holiday. Now, you heard of that one. And you're looking forward to it next week. All right? But the word Whitson has gone. The 50 days has gone. Sometimes Spring Bank Holiday hits the 50 days exactly, and Spring Bank Holiday Sunday coincides with what we Christians call Pentecost Sunday. More often, they do not coincide. Therefore, the Christian church, if not uh, careful, will lose the concept of this second important truth of God coming to us. Not only giving himself for us, but coming to us. Do you know what today is? Pentecost Sunday, or what we used to call Whitsun. Therefore, I want to emphasize this this morning, God helping me. Of the three sentences we learnt, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, Easter. And that's the most important one. Uh, but God, uh, I, I've already said, uh, merely because it's Pentecost Sunday, I want to move on from that most vital important truth to this second one. The Son of God loves me and has given himself to me. Moreover, the third feast uh, was the Feast of Tabernacles in the Old Testament, and that's referred to in the New Testament. And it coincides with what I call, though this is a variable weekend in our English calendar, but the churches normally, I don't know whether you have one, have the Harvest Thanksgiving Festival. When all the fruit of the earth is gathered in, we're meant to have a big celebration. 
And Jesus told us the harvest is the end of the world. When every single last believer from all over the world is gathered in and is saved and there's no more to save, the end of the world will come at final harvest. And that's the third truth we must remember. Of course, we don't look at it in fear that God is going to come and call us to account. No, 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 no. We who are Christians look forward to it in love. Why? Because the Son of God loves us still and is coming back for us at the end of time and the end of the world and the end of harvest. Isn't that lovely? Are you with me still? Do you say yes or nod your head? Are you with me? You got that? Have you forgotten the three sentences? You got those? I'll be asking you in a minute. So now, for the remaining moments, this morning and later on this evening, I want to focus on what do we know about this Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost? The three festivals, three, there were seven, but in three different time periods, Passover or Easter emphasizes that aspect of God's wonderful work for us, concentrating on what the Son of God did. The second one emphasizes that aspect of God, uh, what the Holy Spirit did. And when the end of the world, I've got no time to say any more about that, the Almighty Father, God himself, will bring time to a close and introduce the following eras. So this one, in the middle, the coming of the Holy Spirit, what can we learn? May I start off very basically, I hope you all know this, but you know we do slip into mistakes and talk about, uh, oh, I've heard of that or it. Well, may I say it's not a that or an it or an influence. He is a person. He's a person. He's a spirit person and he is a holy person. That's why we call him the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now, may I just prove to you, please, um, that he is a person. I'm going to read uh, from, anyway, I know it's in John 14. Hold on. Uh, John 16, verse 13, this one. Notice the personal pronouns. John 16, this is the upper room. Uh, conversation and Jesus said when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come and he will glorify me I think you've got the point he 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 himself he is a person 
You can see it if you make a study of the Bible that he has all the attributes, that, that means those things that belong to God, that only belong to God. For example, they will say the Holy Spirit is eternal. Only God is eternal in the sense of from eternity to eternity. By grace now we're saved and we're okay for the future, but we've not been here from eternity. Uh, he is uh, omnipresent everywhere. He is omniscient, knows everything. And is omnipotent, he has all power. Those four are what we call the things which belong to God only, the attributes. He has them. Therefore, he is a divine person. A person and a divine person. And it might help you to think more particularly of what I call uh, the baptismal formula. Uh, the commission was, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three, on a level. You have it in the communion. Uh, I'm not closing, I'm going to pass hand back soon, but we might say something like this together. Many churches do. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in what I call the benediction formula. So he is a person he is a divine person, and may I say he is a divine person exactly like Jesus. Now, where do I get that from? I think this is the John 14 one. Uh, first, let me get the verse. Oh dear, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. I haven't put the verse down. It's John 14, and you can find that... Uh, you can look that up and help me out. But uh, and he will give you another comforter. Now, what I wanted to emphasize here is this. Another, in Greek, could have been one or two different words. Uh, for example, hmm. here is an object. Here is another object. You say, yes, but that one's not like that one. True. Here is an object. Here is another object. Oh, you say, well, that one's like that one. Are you with me? Another can mean another of a different sort or another of exactly the same sort. Does that make sense? Jesus said that the Father would give you another. Guess which Greek word was used? Of the same sort. Exactly like me. All that Jesus was in the body to those early disciples who gathered around him, their teacher, the guide, their reprover, their lover, the putting them right when they went wrong, all sorts of things, answering when the critics came, concern for them, loving them, praying for them, all that Jesus was to them when he was in the flesh, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit is another just like that, just like Jesus, who's come to me spiritually, 
And he loves me, and he's looking after me, and he's guiding me, and he's teaching me. He's going to guarantee the end of the journey. He'll reboot the critics. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. He is a person, a divine person, and a divine person exactly like the Lord Jesus. Now let me hurry on to aspects of his work, and then that's the end so far today. I am helped personally to think of his work by that little occasion, Matthew chapter 3, when the Lord Jesus was baptized. Um, in verse 16 it says, Matthew three sixteen, When he, Jesus, had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Will you please notice the father's voice this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Where did it come from? Heaven. Where was Jesus? On earth coming out of the water. And the Holy Spirit, alighting like a dove from heaven to earth. Not uniquely, but to a great extent, may I say this, the work of the Heavenly Father we remember for basically, is all to do with heaven. On the throne, ruling, reigning, overruling, knowing all, got all his plans prepared, and the clock on earth is ticking exactly on time to his schedule. We have a God in heaven, Controlling all. Jesus. What do we remember him for? Now, I know he has a ministry in heaven interceding for us. I know one or two little things. But primarily, primarily, we remember him for his work on earth. Born. Miraculously conceived and then born incarnate, the son of God on earth grew up perfect on earth did his miracles on earth left his teaching on earth died on the cross on earth rose from the tomb from earth ascended and to earth coming again can you see what I'm trying to say we remember Jesus primarily for everything to do with his ministry on earth the Father in heaven, Jesus on earth. What about the Holy Spirit? Bringing that which is in heaven into the realm of the earthly for our blessing. That's how I remember the Holy Spirit. Why? 
He even brought the one we know as Jesus before he was the Son of God, but never Jesus. But he brought him, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. He brought him from heaven to earth in a miraculous way. Fully human, but fully divine. And never a fault in him. And then the Holy Spirit has brought the revelation of God. All that God wanted us to know. He has brought that from heaven into earth. And inspired the writing of this book. This is a miracle book. Not to be compared with any other. You say it's only a human book. No. It is not only a human book. It is a human book. But it is equally divine. Jesus was human. But he was equally divine. And that combination meant every word he spoke you could rely upon. This is human. And equally divine. And here too we have something where every word we can rely on. Miracle. The Holy Ghost brought that. The Holy Ghost has brought that. And the Holy Ghost has brought what? The very life of God in heaven. He has brought into the realm of earth so that we can experience it in our hearts. He is the author of the new birth, the miracle of being born again. It doesn't matter whether we say, oh, I was converted. Oh, I, I, I prayed a prayer to Jesus. Oh, I asked Jesus to forgive me. I tell you this much, friends, whatever language we use, I'm not against any of it at all. But do realize that when there is an answer, what has happened to you, though you might scarcely realize it, is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk more about that this evening. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. I'm on time so far. So now I'm going to end. Isn't that nice? But I must ask you for three things, and then I'll announce what I'll be speaking on this evening. Ah, you've forgotten. Quick, look at your written notes and uh, tell me what Galatians 2.20 says. It said, Yes, and there's another lovely truth we've emphasized a bit today. The Son of God. Yes. And we mustn't forget the third. The Son of God. And is coming back for me. Yes. Well, there we are. I hope it's a little blessing to you. Write them down when you get at home. Uh, test them over lunchtime, uh, one with the other. And uh, if you can't remember them, remember them. No seconds. 
All right, and uh, this evening, may I just say, because there's so much about our dear Holy Spirit, briefly, I'm going to try and cover the following. I call them the seven words of the Holy Spirit. I want to have brief comments on one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Four, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. All these words you find in the scripture. Five, the unction or anointing of the Holy Spirit. Six, the witness of the Spirit. And finally, the fullness of the Spirit. I value your prayer uh, for that as we gather together this evening. May I pray, please, and then I'll be handing back to whoever comes over. Thank you. Well, our gracious God and Heavenly Father, and indeed, dear Lord Jesus and dear Holy Spirit, we thank you for so many of the blessings we've been reminded of this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you came to be a man so that you could die on the cross for our sins. We bless you for the gospel. And uh, the Holy Spirit's part in that. We thank you this morning. We have a fully trustworthy and Holy Spirit-inspired Bible. Help us to understand it increasingly. We bless you this morning. It is possible for ordinary man stumbling along with his life and his sins and his doubts to be wonderfully born again of the Holy Spirit of God. What an experience. Oh, may many in this city have that experience uh, from the Holy Spirit. We thank you, our gracious God also, that having been born again, you have covenanted to look after us, help us, guide us, teach us, reassure us, pick us up when we stumble, and you've guaranteed a safe arrival in heaven. We bless you for that. We thank you for all the other wonderful ministers of the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for fellowship in the Holy Spirit this morning. We want to give you praise and gratitude. Receive them in this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.